Welcome to In Context and Culture, a podcast hosted by pastors Corey Majors and Trent Roseman, intended to clarify and comment on critical issues pertaining to theology, the Bible, and life in the church. Now, enjoy the podcast. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to In Context and Culture. We're glad you're here. Uh, we are beginning a brand new season, season two, and Corey and I have been talking about really what we want to talk about in this season. One thing that kept coming to the forefront of both of our minds is the book of Revelation. Now, you may ask why the book of Revelation, and uh, my short answer to that is uh, if you have uh, if you live in the United States and you've witnessed anything that's gone on in the last you know, season that we've been in with the election and with uh, COVID-19, uh, we all need uh, a beacon of hope, a reminder of the fact that Christ, in fact, will return and that our hope is in the resurrection. And so um, oftentimes, however, when we think about the book of Revelation, we find it to be such a daunting task um, because it feels like something we can't figure out or understand. And yet what we want to do with this time together in studying the book of Revelation with you is kind of show you, hey, Revelation is this glorious book pointing us to the fact that Christ will one day return and that we can have hope in that and can remain steadfast knowing that he will be faithful. So that's kind of what we want to talk about. So you're going to notice this. Today we're going to intro the book in the weeks to come. We're going to walk through the book slowly, so this would be a great opportunity for you uh, to share this podcast with your friends and really walk through the book of Revelation with us. Uh, Like next week, for example, uh, you can tune in and you'll notice that we'll have gone through the first few verses of the book of Revelation, the next week after that, the, uh, the next few verses, and so on, all the way through the book of Revelation. So you can learn along with us as we learn from different commentaries, from different pastors, and from what we understand that arises from within this great book. I want to just give you a heads up, and the way that we're going to do that is we're going to give you four C's every week. Now, this week's different because we're introing the book, but four C's every week. Those C's will be context, Christ, culture, and controversial opinions. Context meaning, hey, what is this? the background to this passage? What are the symbols that are being used here? How should we interpret this? Christ meaning, um, the second C, what does this passage tell us about God? And a culture being, how should I apply this passage in my life, in the time and place that I live? And controversial opinions, of course, being what we think about the passage ourselves, even if they are controversial. So, like I said today, as we open this book together, we want to just look at an introduction to approaching the book and interpreting different, very important passages. So, Corey, I want to just ask you some opening questions as we begin. And that'll lead us right into the topic of conversation. So um, a lot of people may be asking, okay, why the book of Revelation? I've already given a little bit of a primer to answer that question. But I think if we backtrack just a little bit before we ask why we we should read it, maybe we should just ask the question, well, what, what is it about? So, Corey, if you're asked the question, what is the book of Revelation all about? In brief, how would you answer that question? Well, I think one of the things you've already hit on is is pretty key, and that's hope. 
um, you know, there's a, there's a hope for the future uh, of what's what's going to happen, and the Lord is bringing this all thing, this whole thing to uh, to His intended end. But I think that uh, the Book of Revelation as a whole is just about persevering in the faith and about God's encouragement and exhortation to to continue to believe. Uh, you know, our, our our faith is not a, a momentary thing; it's a continual thing in Jesus Christ and uh, trusting in Him and for for all things really. And so, whenever we're looking at tribulation, whenever we're looking at hardship and suffering and all of those things that we know the believers will incur, um, we really need to hear that from God. We need to hear that uh, encouragement. It, the book of Revelation is going to be a blessing to us. It promises that, uh, but it's about revealing God's plan for the end of time, and that should give us hope and courage to endure. That's good. So would you say, based upon some of the fanciful tales that have gone out about this book of Revelation, you go to a tent meeting, you hear about how the Russian helicopters are the locusts, you, know, you, watch, you, 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 you read a book or watch a movie with Nick Cage in it, and uh, you learn that you don't want to be, quote-unquote, left behind. Um, is that the intention of the book, to kind of promote a sort of speculation of the future? Is there room for um, being watchful? Is What's a healthy in-between those two polar uh, 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 approaches? Being watchful, but not just understanding it as just a book to promote future uh, speculation? Am I... Am I Am I saying anything worth worth anything here? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I think that that we do approach the Book of Revelation with some fear and trepidation. That you know, you you don't want to get this thing wrong because there are so many errant interpretations uh, that are out there. But boy, if if you are diligent to search the scriptures to to look at the Old Testament passages. Um, that that are pertinent because there are more allusions to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation than the whole rest of the New Testament combined. And so I, I think if we do our diligence to to really study and, and try to understand, the Lord is going to show us what this is and, and, and help us understand uh, what it means. That's good. So you would say, as you've already said, just articulating that, the viewpoint that you have about what Revelation is all about, it's not to promote future speculation. Like that's not what it was written about, though it does give us a glimpse toward the future and we should be watchful. But rather, it's an admonition or an exhortation to churches to remain faithful and persevere with the reality that Christ will be faithful and will return and victory is given to those who are his and who persevere, right? So an admonition to stay faithful reminding them God will be faithful and will come back. Yeah, and, and, you know, just as a side note there, I don't think speculation is a good interpretive tool in any part of Scripture. Sure. Um, now, I mean, we, we do have to, we do have to do, come to conclusions uh, whenever we're looking in the Scriptures, but I don't think just speculating on what certain things mean because then that gets back to the whole idea of this, what it means to me, which is never a good phrase to use whenever you're talking about Scripture. That's good. Man, I can't get a better answer than that. That's good. So uh, second question, um, I kind of wanted just uh, us to toss around, is why is the book of Revelation so important within the biblical canon or biblical storyline? And if I can just take a shot at the answering this question... 
uh, my answer would be the answer of hope. I mean, you see in the Bible, especially in the letters to churches in the New Testament from Paul and from Peter, um, people that are perplexed because um, Christ has not yet returned. Peter answers that question and saying, you know, a thousand years are like a day and a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. He's patient, not wishing any to perish. Um, Paul said, just as Christ resurrected, you will also resurrect. He's the first fruits of your resurrection. And so in a sense, we need to not forget that uh, as believers, um, while our hope has been secured in the cross, our hope has not fully been realized yet because ultimately our hope is to be united with the Lord present with him forever in new glorified resurrected bodies that do no longer have the hindrance of sin sickness sorrow and strife and so we long for as elect exiles this is not our home we're his people this is not our home but he's about to make his home with us when he returns and so i say it like this i've heard it like this and i'm so i'm just repeating something someone else has said uh, along the biblical storyline those that have trusted in Christ have been saved from the punishment of sin. We've been justified. We are his people. We are being saved, present tense, from the power of sin in our lives as we put it to death and are sanctified. But we will one day be saved from the presence of sin. And what a glorious day that will be. The the, the difficulty of this life will be no more. The strain and uh, uh, of sorrow, sin, sickness, strife, sadness, that will be no more, and we will be with Jesus forever. This is what we long for. This is what we look forward to. And so Revelation really puts an end cap on what's going to happen up until that time, and it ends with the fact that his dwelling place will be with man, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Anything you want to add to that? Well, I just think that, I mean, that is the that is what we have to look to. I mean, especially in these times that are so uncertain for us, um, people need that. They need hope. They they need something to look forward to because if all you do is sit in the circumstances, um, you're going to find uh, depression very quickly. And so God has given us that, and um, and we need to look to it. And and we're not. And I would just say this: we're not. Um... Uh, oblivious to the fact that the United States is not encountering persecution like brothers and sisters in North Korea or other parts of the world, and that hey, all um, everything's not coming crashing down just because what we're experiencing right now, especially because of how minor it is compared to what others are experiencing. However, it is times like this that shake us up, and we need to remind one another, encourage one another that hey, our home is not here. This is a reminder: our home is not here. Um, so you began a series going through the book of Revelation, and we've already kind of partly answered this question, but you began the series going through the book of Revelation with your church. Um, how do you think, <clears throat> what brought you to want to walk through the book, and how do you think it's particularly a- applicable um, to your church right now? Well, first of all, I'll just say that like I didn't, I didn't just decide to do this because of everything going on right now. I'd actually just, I'd actually thought that I would start Revelation probably a, a year ago or more. And in God's providence, he had me push that back 
um, for several different reasons, but we we actually just went through the book of Joshua, which is the the Israelite people coming into the promised land. And so I wanted to follow that up with us looking at the book of Revelation about us going in really to the promised land, uh, the, that that land, that time uh, that God has promised us as believers will happen. And so, so I wanted to put those two things back to back, but I think it's particularly important for believers uh, in, in our church, um, the church as a whole, to to look at the book of Revelation because of of the the blessing that it promises us. Um, and like I said earlier, like it does just promise that it will be a blessing for those who hear and obey. And so I think this book is not just for biblical scholars. I think the book is designed for the church for a specific purpose, and God has has given it to the church um, to to all to do all of those things that we've already discussed. Yeah, so Revelation so, one three is what you're referring. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So John has in mind as he's writing this that churches will read this book aloud, right? Mm-hmm. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written, for the time is near. Right. So uh, one thing that I, I think is important, too, for the church is I think a lot of people, and we'll end here and, and kind of move on to some some other things, but I think a lot of people, um, I think their hope is often, even if, even if their hope is not in the world, their hope is often to escape the punishment of God um, because of Christ's atoning work on the cross, which absolutely that secures our hope and absolutely that's what makes us right before God and absolutely that's what reconciles us to God and absolutely that's the only way we can anyone can have a relationship with God but oftentimes they don't put much thought to okay it's it's not as if I'm just escaping hell or escaping earth but rather I'm going to enjoy time forever with um, everything that went wrong with the fall being reversed with God, right? It's not, I'm just going to be an ethereal spirit being floating um, from planet to planet for the rest of my life, but rather I'll dwell with God on a new earth, new heavens, joined together, enjoying his presence. And I don't know that we put a ton of thought to, hey, we're going to have fingers and toes and eyes. I mean, I don't know what the glorious bodies look like, but I think they're real physical (laughs) bodies. So I don't know that we put a ton of hope in that, but it seems like that was... Paul's huge exhortation, hey, you will be resurrected long and look forward to that day. Christ's resurrection secures that. So um, I think we need to comp- continually put that in front of people. Hey, this is, what we, this is what we look forward to. This is what we long for. All right, that being said, um, as I've mentioned, in weeks to come, we'll be walking through four C's, uh, context, Christ, culture, and controversial opinions as we walk through the book. We pray that you walk through the book with us. We hope that you walk through the book with us. But today, as an intro, we want to just talk through some interpretive frameworks of the book and some different approaches to the book. And we're going to have to do this pretty quick because our time is already already drawing short. But let's do this. Let's talk about the main approaches to the book, the main ways that people approach the book as a whole, which often isn't talked about. And then let's talk about the different ways that people interpret one of the main passages in the book, the millennium. So, Corey, if we can, um, let's uh, just kind of bounce around the thoughts to approaching the book. And so the four views are basically the futurist approach, the preterist approach, the historicist approach, and the idealist approach. Now, why these approaches come up and why there is kind of some different opinions on it is because the book of Revelation includes 
an epistle. I mean, it, it's a letter from John to seven real churches in Asia Minor. Um, it's apocalyptic. It uses a lot of imagery and symbols that refer back to the Old Testament that many of the readers would have understood at the time that are maybe a little bit more difficult for us to understand if we don't have a, a, a big understanding of the Old Testament. And it's very prophetic in nature. And prophecy is often difficult because in Old Testament prophecy, there was often an immediate fulfillment and then a future fulfillment. So um, this has led other uh, many people to have different interpretations and approaches to the book as a whole. So why don't we talk through those four? Like I said, futurist, preterist, historicist, and idealist. Why don't you take the preter? Uh, why don't you take the futurist? Sorry, and just give us a brief overview of one of these uh, common approaches to Revelation. Okay. Well, the futurist approach is probably one that I grew up on. Probably one that you grew up on, and many people have. Um, but it interprets the visions literally and chronologically and so in referring to specific events in history and so chapters 4 through 21 are, are seen in an actual historical order of events um, and and Israel is, a sto- is restored uh, immediately prior um, to I believe 4-1 is that right um, and then, but but here, here's some of the things that that happen in a chronological order. The church is raptured into heaven. There's there's seven years of tribulation. The reign of the antichrist begins. The nations gather to make war against Jerusalem. Christ returns and defeats the nations, um, and then Christ rules during that millennial kingdom. Um, and so, so it's really just a very chronological order of things that happen from chapters 4 through 21 in the book of Revelation. And so everything is, is future and whenever the church is taken out uh, and raptured. And so that's just kind of a brief synopsis of that. Um, that's great. Uh, the preterist approach, preterist being sim- uh, um, somewhat an opposite approach of the futurist approach, um, believes the book of Revelation is primarily written about events that have already taken place in the past. Um, a lot of those, a, a lot of those that hold the preterist approach, believe that um, much of Revelation is talking about the event of the fall of Jerusalem in AD seventy, for example. Um, uh, a lot of those that uh, uh, take the preterist approach take um, Revelation chapter one, where it says, uh, "For the time is." near the things that must soon take place. They take that more literally rather than figuratively. Um, so they would say John is writing to particular churches at the time. He wants them to read this aloud, different from the book of Daniel where it says seal these prophecies. The book of Revelation says open, read, it's coming soon. They would take that very literally to say that, hey, these these things are about to happen. They would not take the, the things that must soon take place as a uh, kind of a perpetual imminency doctrine of Christ could at any point return, but rather, hey, a lot of the things before Christ's return are going to happen now to you, the churches, prior to AD 70. They would separate, like the last few chapters, maybe like chapters 21 and 22, um, the, the, the return of Christ. They would separate um, the, the judgment seat of Christ, wrath of God as uh, a future event, but the the bowls, those different types of things are a past event leading up and fulfilled in AD 70. So um, some an obvious strength of preterism, of course, is because it takes the chapter 1 very literally, the things that must soon take place. So um, 
Uh, I will just distinguish real quick before we move on. There's oftentimes referred to as full preterism and partial preterism. Full preterism is a heretical doctrine. It holds that the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the dead has already taken place. Um, very, very, very few people hold this and are um, universally understood by the true church as uh, as those that are holding a heretical doctrine because they're holding the same poor doctrine that Paul mentions in the Thessalonians when he says, hey, the day of the Lord has not taken place yet. So um, just to note, uh, preterist view is most of Revelation has taken place. It was pointing to AD 70. And you have to, of course, hold a date of writing um, before AD 70 if you take the preterist position. Yeah, the, the idealist approach, um, it, it's going to differ from the others and uh, the first two that we've talked about and even even the historist, uh, or if, if I'm saying that, historicist. Historicist, I yeah. think maybe it's how it's... <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> but uh, but, um, but it's different from those because it's, it's pretty reluctant to view any particular historical event as coinciding in the book of Revelation. So a lot of things are taken um, very symbolically, um, and not that most things in Revelation aren't symbolic. I'm just saying that there that this really is the Revelation is looked at more as a symbolic representation of the battle between good and evil. And so the seals and the bowls and the trumpets would speak over and over again to the events of human history in every age um, and give all believers uh, this exhortation to remain faithful. So, you know, um, even in the face of suffering. And so um, parts, parts of Revelation, they would say, do refer to uh, end time events concerning the return of Christ, his final defeat of the enemy, and his establishment of a heavenly kingdom. But it, it's primarily a very symbolic representation of this battle of good and evil over the whole course of time between Christ's first, first advent and his second advent. Because idealists can take, hey, this could possibly be like a, a representation of Babylon and Revelation. This could possibly be symbolic of this or this. Um, I'm not saying that's a negative. In fact, I'm almost drawn to the idealist approach in some ways because, hey, this could be this, you know, uh, is somehow yeah. so, sometimes uh, how you can understand that approach. So uh, it's. Yeah, you don't lock yourself in. Yeah, it's somewhat <laughs> appealing for that reason. Um, the historicist approach. Um, unlike the idealist approach. So you'll see that the preterist and his, uh, and futurist are very much different from one another, and they're the, probably the most common uh, as far as just uh, distinguishing understandings of the approaches. Um, but between idealist and historicist, those are also um, almost opposites of one another. In that, the idealist is um, symbolic representations throughout history um, things that are symbolic or representations of Babylon and the beast and things like that. Historicist often tries to tie what happens in Revelation, um, the, the symbols and the, 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 the beast and th things like that, with key specific events throughout the church age. So, for example, they think that uh, the visions correspond to actual events, institutions, people that play important roles um, in the accomplishment of God's purposes. Uh, for example, in the Reformation, many people thought that Revelation 17, um, that the harlot Babylon was the Roman Catholic Church and the papacy 
Um, people often think that the Pope is going to be the Antichrist. Um, uh, Revelation 13, some people think that the beast from the sea is the rise of Islam. A strength of historicism is that they try to tie it to real key events, not just symbolic, though I'm not saying that's a negative, but hey, here's what's happening that you can see um, in, in, in history that ties to the book of Revelation. There's also people, I think we just should note, that have kind of an eclectic approach where they take, hey, a little bit of the futurism approach, a little bit of the um, preterist approach, like George Ladd, who I've learned a lot from his writing. Um, he would maybe kind of fit in that eclectic approach, saying that uh, preterism isn't fully adequate, but it's helpful. Futurism isn't fully adequate, but it's helpful. So why don't we just briefly go over the views of the millennium. So we just looked over approaching the book as a whole, which a lot of people may not think through, but is very important. But also, um, a lot of people will kind of divide quickly on how they interpret the millennium, which is, of, of course, um, one particular passage in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, um, the millennial reign of Christ with his people. There's three distinct views. <clears throat> There's kind of a subcategory in one of them. But the three distinct views are premillennialism, amillennialism, and postmillennialism. Within premillennialism, we also have dispensational premillennialism. So let's walk through those one at a time and just kind of say a few important things with each one. And we'll try to, Corey, if we can, make this just as brief as possible so we don't bore our listeners. Premillennialism believes that the millennial reign of Christ will happen after Christ's return. So uh, Christ will return. He will reign with the saints for a thousand years on earth. And then after those a thousand years, he will enact his righteous wrath. And we find then the new heavens and the new earth. Um, there's also a dispensational premillennialism that thinks that in the framework of all that's going to happen, there is first, um, they would take this out of Daniel. Uh, there's first going to be a seven years of great tribulation. The church is going to be raptured for that. They're going to come back with Christ and so on and so forth. Um, MacArthur is a, um, a big proponent of the dispensational view. Danny Aiken, Charles Ryrie. Um, the um, dispensational view comes initially from a guy named John Darby. Um, John Piper, James Hamilton, and George Ladd take the historic premillennial view, which means that we won't be necessarily raptured um, uh, uh, to, to not experience tribulation. We will experience tribulation. We just won't experience the wrath of God. So uh, they would kind of take out that, um, uh, many of them would take out that uh, exact seven-year process. MacArthur said things like, Jesus, Peter, the writer of Hebrews, and James were all premillennial. And he also said that it's too late for Calvin to be, but it's not too late for you to join the reformed <laughs> premillennial movement, uh, which is very much MacArthur-like. All right, what's the amillennial view, Corey? Yeah, I'll just say uh, MacArthur's not shy in anything he says. Nope. But um, <laughs> the amillennial view... Um, the distinction between it and the premillennial view uh, primarily is that they believe that we are presently living in the millennial kingdom. It's it's not something that's going to happen in the future. It's something that we're presently living in, um, which is going to have both these characteristics of gospel victory and suffering for the gospel in it. And so that obviously means that they interpret the 1,000 years figuratively, um, and they believe that Satan is bound because he, he has no power to, to stop the gospel from spreading. And that, uh, and, but he's not completely powerless because he still has the ability to, to persecute the church. 
Um, they, they would say that just before the end, Satan again will be permitted to deceive the nations and persecution is going to increase dramatically. Um, and, and Christians are, are awaiting this visible bodily return of Christ, uh, which brings to end all of their suffering. And so the second coming occurs at the same time with the general resurrection and the public rapture of the church, who then is going to immediately return to earth with Christ um, when Christ would judge the world and, and then he ushers in this eternal state. And so some of the proponents of this view are Kevin DeYoung, David Platt, uh, Augustine, Martin Luther, and Calvin. Um, and Calvin wrote in his Institutes that this chiasm uh, is a fiction. That chiasm just means this millennial... Like the literal uh, millennium. Yeah, literal <laughs> millennium uh, is a fiction that is too childish uh, either to, to need or to be worth a refutation. So like he didn't even acknowledge it. Um, and so... Um, that's where he stood on it. Yeah. But what about the what about the post mill? Yeah, and I would just say that I don't know that I did adequate um, an adequate uh, you know articulation of the difference between dispensational premillennialism and premillennialism. But I would just say this: that dispensational premillennialism has to uh, understand uh, somewhat of two returns of Christ: um, one to secretly rapture his church, and then uh, a second after the seven year tribulation to visibly and um, uh, dramatically return with his church, <clears throat> whereas the premillennial view uh, sees one return of Christ similar to the amillennial view. The amillennial view just sees that millennium already taking place in heaven, whereas the premillennial view takes, takes the position that the, the millennial reign will be a literal a thousand years on the earth with Christ. Uh, both dispensational and historic premillennial both believe in a literal a thousand years, whereas amillennial doesn't. Um, uh, dispensational and premillennial just differ in their understanding of what's going to take place before Christ returns. So postmillennial view is uh, one that w- at one time was a very popular view, but is um, somewhat been less popular, even though there's kind of a growing resurgence of that view. Um, it's basically the view that the uh, the, the last things um, will occur uh or during the last times, like right now, what we live in, we'll see an increased um, realization of who Christ is as the gospel goes forth with the authority that God has. He sent his church. The world will be, in some sense, Christianized through persecution. And then there will be, in the future, before Christ returns, a time where the vast majority of men and women living will be saved. That there will be a time in history as gentry, uh, Peter Gentry, or Kenneth Gentry, sorry, says, a time in history prior to Christ's return in which faith, righteousness, peace, and prosperity will prevail in the affairs of men and nations. Um, many people will say that you're going to need um, uh, to be from space to see how many people will have trusted Christ. And they say that this is because of the authority of Christ um, and because of the fact that um, <clears throat> they would argue that Satan is bound, that the gospel will go forth through persecution. Proponents are like Doug Wilson, Keith Matheson, Kenneth Gentry, Gary North, Jonathan Edwards even. <clears throat> Edwards envisioned the millennium, in fact, as a triumphant state of the church, a time of Sabbath rest and peace, a time of great holiness where visible wickedness shall be suppressed everywhere and true holiness shall become general, though not universal. And so uh, I would just say um, that while this doesn't convince me, um, this is a particularly 
um, uh, 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 desirable interpretation, right? Because we do hopefully want um, Christ to be so patient as to um, uh, wait until people can, like, you know, for example, I'm not trying to say anything weird here, but, you know, Peter talks about Christ is patient, not wishing any to perish. And so, um, mm-hmm. while we want Christ to return now, right now, because of the hope that we have, um, we're thankful for the fact that he is patient, not wishing him to perish. And we pray that by his authority, many would come to know him. And so this is a very positive view in uh, understanding that, yes, in fact, because of Christ's authority, thousands upon millions upon even billions will be saved one day. So yeah. let's uh, go ahead. As you were describing that, man, I was just thinking, man, that, that is so, that sounds so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to, just to think about the, the world being Christianized would be a, a glorious, glorious thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. Um, so just a few things that I just want to say before we end here. Hey, study the scriptures, derive the details, and arrive at a conclusion, not from us, not from mm-hmm. maybe one person that's been popularized through media, um, but under your pastoral authority in your local congregation and opening the word for yourself. Um, make sure that your opinions are derived from Scripture, um, not just from fanciful interpretations. Um, I'll just say that each of these millennial interpretations each have their own problems, whether people, uh, and I love MacArthur, but like MacArthur will admit it, they all have problems in their own views. And uh, good, godly men and women can disagree on these things. These are not first-level issues like the Trinity and the deity of Christ and um, salvation by faith alone. Um, Good, godly men and women can disagree on these issues and should and can remain charitable. So just a reminder, hey, we're going to be going through this book slowly together. We want you to walk along uh, uh, the book with us or through the book with us. We just wanted to intro the book today with you. I look forward to these four C's. Share this podcast with your friends. Corey, do you want to say anything before we go? Um, I would just say, too, that at, you know, as you go through this, as Trent said, read the scriptures and uh, and also, boy, find some some good commentaries. We might even be able to recommend those. But for the primary purpose of seeing what they say, uh, Old Testament passages apply to each week and then mm-hmm. go back and read those Old Testament passages. I think that would be very helpful to you uh, as we go through the book of Revelation. Uh, you may not agree with us by the time we get done. Uh, Trent and I may not agree by the time we get done, but by the Lord's help and by His Spirit, uh, we seek to uh, find out what the Scriptures is revealing to us. That's good. So we just uh, are thankful that you joined us this week, and uh, we encourage you to go and give us a five-star review and uh, on, on the platform that you choose, and uh, go tell your friends. And we hope to be back with you again next week.